0: All right, good morning, if you picked up an outline on your way in, you can pull it out right now or open your Three Crosses app and find your way to the outline piece this morning. And then also uh, take your Bibles and let's go to Matthew 25, 1 through 13, Matthew 25. You'll find that on page 1540 in the Book Rack Bible that's right in front of you there, if that helps. We hope you'll find your way there. Such an important text today. And I'm going to tell you right up front that we're going to invite people to trust in Christ today at the close of our sermon this morning. Maybe you've never met Christ. We're just praying the Lord will speak to your heart today. Uh, Some of us today at the top of the year recognize there's stuff in our lives that aren't right with Christ. We need to wake up and grow in Him. And we're going to ask people to repent of sin this morning and come and pray. and just. Just straight gets things straight with the Lord this morning. So I'm going to throw that out right here and just say, Lord, just use this time, God. Speak to us. Holy Spirit, right now, come upon this church and our house, this place, Lord, where we live, where we serve, where we share our lives, Lord. Be, uh, Lord... Uh, everything that we need you to be this morning in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. And I pray that you will speak to our hearts today. Hide me, Lord. Just use me as a prompter, Lord. Just help me to deliver this as you would have me to, Lord. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we enter back into our study in Matthew today, and we're in a section known as the Olivet Discourse. This is Jesus' personal teaching on his second coming. And we left uh, the Olivet Discourse and then we did our series in Advent, Christmas Chaos, and we concluded that series with a a picture of the new heaven and the new earth. And here we are right back in to uh, this final closing teaching section in the Gospel of Matthew. When we finish Matthew 25 and start 26, we start the Passion Narratives. It's the last section of the book of Matthew. It's the Passion Narratives and we follow that all the way up to Easter and we'll finish the book then. It's going to be an amazing little run here, but we've got some work to do. Matthew 25 reveals to us three warning parables. They're three parables about judgment, and they're all warning uh, the people that Jesus is speaking to about the unexplainable, inexplicable reality of the Jews missing the fact that Jesus is the true Messiah. And and so these parables give us a, a picture of being prepared for the king's return, the second coming of Christ, And so let's turn our attention to the reading of Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, this first of three parables that warn of His coming and prepare us for His coming. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. "'The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all began became drowsy and fell asleep. "'At midnight the cry rang out, "'Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him!' "'Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. "'The foolish one said to the wise, "'Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out.' "'No,' they replied, "'there may not be enough for both us and you. "'Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves.' "'But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived.' The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. All right. Well, that's an interesting parable, isn't it? And there's some uh, symbolism there that we can relate to a little bit. We're going to jump into this. It's a fun little parable actually to look at that it's got a very strong meaning. Obviously, in the parable, Jesus is represented by this bridegroom who's coming. The imagery of the wedding and these attendants or these virgins speak of the preparation of God's people for this return of the king. Now the grand upshot of this parable is once again calling God's people to watchfulness in view of His return. This parable also gives us the reality of how many people will not be sufficiently prepared when Jesus does come in history. And so maybe the question right now for all of us sitting here today is, are we prepared? And this parable at least gives us the fact that that a big portion of people are not prepared. If you take the ten virgins, think bridesmaids or wedding attendants, if you take the ten and say half were wise and half were foolish, it's as if Jesus is making a pretty strong argument that there's a lot of folks who are simply not prepared. And why are people not prepared? As I studied this passage, I couldn't help but to think that the reason why people are unprepared is because of what I would consider self self-deception. There's something going on here in this parable that reveals to us this sinister reality in our lives that we're, we're vulnerable to believing lies. We're vulnerable to, to saying to ourselves, rehearsing to ourselves things that are simply not true. And I think Jesus' intent in this parable is to wake up some folks that were listening who thought they were awake but really were not. And so this morning we're going to look at what I'm calling these, these believable lies that unbelievers uh, sort of hold on to, four believable lies of an unbeliever, the self-deception of the unprepared. There are four of them I see in this passage, I want to give them to you if you're taking notes. Verses one through four, here's the first lie that people buy into, and, and maybe you said this in your life, maybe you know someone who's saying this, but here's how it goes. I'm okay spiritually because I look and act like religious people should. Ever you know, kind of suppose that that might be somebody that you know? That could be somebody sitting here today. This metaphor that Jesus uses here in this parable to warn against being unprepared for when he comes is this picture of these ten virgins. Now again, I want you to think about wedding attendants or bridesmaids who took their lamps out to meet the bridegroom. Before moving on from this, let's discuss a little bit about Jewish weddings Uh, Jewish marriages at the time of Jesus. There were three phases of the Jewish marriage. First, there was the phase, the engagement phase, Now, the engagement phase happened apart from the couple themselves. This was usually the parents of the bride and groom, usually the fathers of the bride and groom coming together and making an arrangement. Back in these days, marriages were mostly arranged, and this was called the engagement period. There was a, a price that was settled, agreed upon, that would be paid for this marriage to take place. This might be when the children were young. Back then, people kind of just thought, you know, this will make a great spouse for my, my son someday. This will make a great spouse for my daughter someday. And so people got together and did that. Now, come on, let's face it. As parents, we think about that sometimes, don't we? But that, that just doesn't work really in our culture, does it? But this engagement period was a time, this was the first phase of a Jewish wedding or Jewish marriage. The second phase is the betrothal phase. Uh, uh, The betrothal phase is an interesting phase because this was when the actual ceremony with the bride and groom took place and they exchanged their vows publicly before their families. This is where they came under the chuppah. And you've seen this in Jewish weddings where there's a lot of uh, symbolism that takes place. This is where uh, in ancient times the vows were given uh, the promises were made. This was public; it was before everyone, and it was considered binding, even though the the marriage had not been consummated yet. Uh, there would be this public display. Uh. Then the the groom would leave this this time. He would bring a gift to his bride as a promise of his return, and he would go to his father's house and he would set up the wedding chamber and their new living space in the father's house. And by the way, you think about all this as beautiful imagery in Christ being our bridegroom and we being the church being the bride, which we'll go back and rehearse in just a second here. But in this betrothal stage, before the, the groom left, he promised to return and he said, I will come back and then I will take you to be with me. And, and so this was something that the, the bride would wait for and she would get her attendance and they would all be waiting too. And this could take up to a year so you would sort of be on call and sort of waiting, and then the news would come. Okay, it's going to be time. The wedding is going to come, and then the the shofar would sound, and the groom would come. Here comes the groom, all dressed and well, whatever. And. And uh, so we've, we flipped that all around in our culture. It doesn't work that way in our culture. We sing Here Comes the Bride and all of these things. But in this culture, it was the groom that was coming. It was surprising. It was somewhat unexpected, even though there were signs given to the fact that he was on his way. And so the uh, wedding attendants would go out. And this is where then uh, the final stage of the marriage would take place. And this is called the celebration phase or the wedding supper phase. This is where the groom would take and process with his bride to the father's house where they would have uh, consummated their marriage and they would have seven days of feasting and partying with all of the wedding attendants. And it was a glorious experience, amazing experience. And uh, from then on, uh, on they go in their lives. Now, Jesus tells this parable uh, describing this phase, this phase, the final phase of the wedding celebration. The engagement period has already happened. And by the way, let's think about this spiritually for just a second. Do you know that we have already been, before we even got saved, God agreed to a price. And the price was Jesus Christ would shed His blood the book of 1 uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says that we have been bought with a price, right? Therefore, glorify God with your body. There was a price arranged, and Christ was the one who paid the penalty for our sins. And then there's this betrothal stage where Jesus says, I'm going now, but I'm going to come back. And the gift that I give to you is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 says that we've re- received the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And then, as Jesus said in John 14, I am going to my Father's house to prepare a place for you. This is all wedding imagery. I will come back and take you to be with me, that where I am there you may be also in the intimacy with the Father, intimacy in the Father's house with the bridegroom. This is the church, and this is exciting. This is, this is all beautiful imagery, and what Jesus is saying to the Jewish people here is He's saying, look, a lot of you think you're ready, but you're not. And here's why you think you're ready, because you look the part. Notice that these virgins, these wedding attend, uh, the attendants, there are five that are wise and five that are foolish. The point here is that uh, they all look the same, but there's a character problem. They all look, observably, there's no difference. Uh, one group is prepared and the other isn't. But just looking at them, there's absolutely nothing you can tell one from the other. They look and act just like they are prepared for the groom's coming. And you don't really know, Jesus says, who's prepared until he actually shows up. That's true for us today, too. Look around. There's no observable difference between any of us here, but I'm going to hazard a guess that there's some of us today that are not prepared for Jesus' return. In a crowd this size, there are people here who have made religion uh, their, uh, uh, their focus. Religion, not Jesus, not a relationship, not a daily encounter with the living God. I'm okay spiritually because I look and act like religious people should. I say the right things. I go to church. I'm a good moral person. All of these things are just as observable upon the people who truly are prepared. Uh, This is all reminiscent way back in Matthew 7, one of the scariest texts in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus said, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name and your name drive out demons, perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Did you notice as we read this parable Jesus, uses, he says when they come to the wedding celebration, let us in, he says, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. That's a little learning key. That, that, that's going from not uh, the wedding attendant, but the reality of there's a, there's Jesus is dividing a line here. He's saying there are some that know me because they have a relationship with me and there are some that don't. And sometimes we, we look the part and we're really not the part. There are religious people among us, people that have religious bumper stickers on their car, people that say, bless you, and amen, and God is good, and they say all the things and they look the part, but there's going to come a day when Jesus comes and they're going to discover that they are not prepared. Why? Because they bought a lie that says, I'm okay spiritually because I look and act the part. Here's the truth. If you're taking notes, the truth is we need a personal and authentic devotion to our coming King. Now let's take a look at the the five wise attendants for just a minute. Uh, they they are prepared uh, because they uh, they are thinking about substance, not appearance. They have oil in their lamps. And, of course, there are a lot of made issue with this, what the oil represents, and is the oil the Holy Spirit, and so forth and so on. I think that's maybe looking a little too far into the parable. Remember, parables are not meant necessarily to be allegorized. The point is, the wise virgins were prepared. They had substance. It wasn't just look. It wasn't just appearance. They had substance. The point is that they were prepared and others were not. they prepared of those who took oil so that they could go with the groom into the party. Let's, let's think about the next lie that we see here in verses 5 and 6. Not only is it a lie that we think we're okay spiritually because we look and act the part, but sometimes, think about this, verses 5 and 6 I think shows us another lie. It gets tiring to wait so long for Jesus to show up. I think I'll just go with the flow with my life here and now. I think that's a lot of people's self-deception. It's just a long time waiting. I mean, when did Jesus leave this planet? About 2,000 years ago? Oh, 2,000 years have gone by. And Jesus said, if I go, I will come back and take you to be with me. He's giving wedding language there. He's the groom leaving, and he's saying, you be ready. (laughs) And we're going, really? 2,000 years? Ready? And so they all go out, both the wise and the foolish, and they fall asleep. They're waiting for the bridegroom to come. Somehow the message came out, hey, it's time. He's on his way. Maybe there was a bit of a journey. And so these wedding attendants, they all get their lamps and they go out. They're sort of on the roadway waiting for the procession to begin. But you know, they're waiting around, they're tapping their feet, they're looking around, nothing's happening, and it's getting late, and I'm tired, and I fall asleep. It's amazing how many people fall asleep when they should be awake. We read about in the papers people driving their cars fall asleep when they should be awake. Uh, Sometimes people fall asleep while they they wait for things. Funny to watch people fall asleep, by the way. By the way, I'm a preacher, I teach and preach. I've seen people fall asleep. (laughs) You know, once or twice in the 30 some years I've preached. You know, it's just amazing. And by the way, if somebody falls asleep next to you in church, You know, maybe they're just tired. Give them some rest. Let them sleep. But if they start snoring, wake them up. I remember one time I was preaching, and there was a guy, I kid you not, he had to have been in the top row of the balcony, and you could hear this. That is, like, terrible if you're a speaker. And and I'm sure there are times where I preach snoozer messages. There's no question about it. I come home from church, my wife goes, man, that was a snoozer today. You know, like, (laughs) I mean, that happens. And I'm okay with that. You know, I mean, you try doing this every week, you know. It's a lot of work. But, but, there have been times where God's anointing, I know is there. The the word is there. There's just everything, clicking. And there's this guy over there just, you know, you see the head going down. And that's just so discouraging. A little self-disclosure is important. I need to tell a story. I was thinking about this when I was preparing the message, and I, I flash back to a picture I have in my, my year. Don't show the picture yet. I, I found this in my, year, my senior year in high school. I have a big picture in the yearbook. I finally made print, and let me show you the picture. Here it is. Okay. This is me, senior year. Okay. <laughs> now, this, this is a government class, and you could tell how much I love government as a senior in high school. I mean, look at that, arms folded, head down. This is during the lecture. How terrible is that? I thought, man, I've looked at that picture and thought about that picture for years in my life. You know, if I had been awake in that uh, government class, I may have run for president one day. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. It's just weird. Uh, it's embarrassing. Uh, you should be awake and you're falling asleep. But listen, let's go back now. Let's, let's think now. There are a lot of us who are falling asleep. You know what's interesting to me about this little parable Jesus says, "The wise virgins and the foolish virgins both fall asleep. You know, everybody can drift. There's some of us, that's why we're calling people to repentance this morning because maybe some of us have, have been drifting and sleeping in our faith. We're ready for Christ's return. and when he comes, it's going to be unexpected. And we're just sort of jolted into the reality. But guess what? We'll have been prepared because we're substantive. We have Christ in our lives. But I think we're going to suffer some loss there. Remember it talks about the, the judgment of, of reward. And many of us are going to suffer loss when we stand before Christ because we just kind of slept our way through our faith. Um, and then there, there are people that just drift away because they never really did have any substance. Uh, I, as I was thinking about this message and preparing, I thought about all the people over the years as I've served as pastor here in our church and before I became pastor here in youth ministries, just people that came in for a while, they got excited, there was kind of a glow in their life, and and then they just sort of slowly kind of just leak out. Now, you know, and I can't be anyone's judge, but I know some of those folks just never took Christ for His life and, and and asked him, come into my life, change me, transform me. There was sort of a religious ride that was going on there. I think of First John 2.19. Let's read this out loud. We'll put this on the screen. First John 2.19. Ready? Here we go. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their go- going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now, John is writing here about the test of believers and in this little section, he's reminding that there's a lot of folks that sort of look the appearance for a while, but then they go out from the church. They, they leave the faith. And, and it's true that we drift as Christians, true, but there are others whose drift is more related to never having belonged to Christ. And this is what concerns us here, our pastors, our elders, because there's some folks sitting here right now today who are in a spiritual drift and you don't have the substance of Christ in your life and you're kind of riding the tide of a religious experience and you like being around positive people and you like the, the nomenclature, you like the feelings that come, you, 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 there's something there that you can't de, you know, de, deny and yet there's no personal reality. And here, the truth is, here's the truth if you're taking notes, the truth is we need to wake up. We need to wake up. Some of us are drifting right now. We need to wake up. Is that you? If we don't learn how to stay awake, we'll likely have the experience of being suddenly awakened. The parable shows us, verse 6, at midnight the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come and meet him. Remember when you were a kid and you played that little game hide-and-go-seek and and one person had to count to 10 or 100 or whatever and you know how you would blaze through the numbers, right? Right? And as you were, if you weren't the counter, you were furiously hiding because you knew the counter was going down. You know, counting to 100, 10, 20, 30, you know. And then the person would cry out, ready or not, what? And if you hadn't found a place to hide, you were dead. You knew you were dead. (laughs) It's like Jesus is saying in this parable, there's going to come a day, ready or not. Here I come. Here I come. The king is coming. Are you ready? One lie is that I'm spiritually okay because I look the part. Well, no, we need a personal and authentic devotion to Christ. It's also a lie that to believe that it's just tiring to wait for Jesus, I think I'll just let my life flow and figure it out later. No, we need to wake up to the reality of Christ's return. Here's a third lie that I see in this passage that unbelievers can hold on to, and that's verses 7 through 9. If and when Jesus does return and decide and I decide I need him then, I've got connections. (laughs) So the foolish attendants realize that they've come to this moment unprepared. What to do? They decide to reach out to the ones who came prepared. Look at it, verse 8. Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. Now I know it seems odd that the ones prepared push back these people. They say, no. Why? There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. I've heard preachers take this text in an odd way. Some preach this text as a means of evangelism. See, we should be sharing our resources with others. That's not what this text is teaching. This te- here, here's the truth, if you're taking notes. The truth is when he comes, each of us will have needed our own encounter with grace. Each of us will have needed our own encounter with grace. The ones prepared aren't able to share what they have with others because they have it by the grace of God. As amazing as grace is, we must not forget that grace isn't transferable. God doesn't have grandkids. He has sons and daughters. We don't come by association. Now this would be a good place in the sermon to do a little soul searching. Ask yourself if you have personally had your own encounter with God's grace. Viewing your life as a sinner and being a rebel to God, have you placed your trust in Christ's work of redemption by His sacrificial death and resurrection? Have you had your own encounter with the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ to where you know that you know that you know that you belong to Him and that it isn't because you have a relationship with a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter or a friend or a pastor who will give you what God wants to give you freely right now? Some of us are waiting for that day, and we're just going to pull our stop, pull out the stops. We're going to go to the people we think that have the connection, and we're going to say, hey, let me be a part of your connection. That's not how it works. We need our own encounter with grace, which brings us to the last thing, the last lie that unbelievers tell themselves, and that is, I'm counting on Jesus to give me a second chance if I don't respond to Him in time. Verses 10 and 11 I think this might be the biggest lie of all, one held by so many people. The rationale appears to our one-dimensional view of God. Here's a one-dimensional view of God. God is love. That's so true. But God is also just. Look at verse 10. I've underlined it in my Bible. And the door was shut. Say that with me. And the door was shut. These people arrive later to beg for the door to be opened, and the response, I tell you the truth, not I can't open the door, I don't know you. The world is hoping for a universalist salvation, that in the end, everyone is saved. But this kind of view completely distorts the complement of God's attributes Yes, he is love, but he's also just. Yes, he is merciful, but he recompenses evil. He is patient, but in his time doors close. Opportunity goes away. That's why we teach that the day of salvation, according to the scripture, is today. Not tomorrow. Today. Second Corinthians 6 2. Read it out loud with me. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. You know what's great news? The door is open. It's open. So the people you know, the people you care about, the family, friends, people, work associates, people in your neighborhood, right now, today, the door is open. But how long will it be opened? We don't know. The invitation is given throughout the Bible. Come. I've said it many times. I've borrowed it from other preachers that say God's favorite word is come. Come. What are you waiting for? Come. Come. I love Isaiah 55, 1 and 3. Come all who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. You see, the truth is, a time is coming when it will be too late to respond at all. By the way, there's a great chance that we will die before the return of Christ. I mean, there's just a great chance. I mean, I look at the news and I see the world events and boy, it feels like, wow, with everything going on in the Middle East and there's just some really interesting geopolitical things going on. But still, it's been 2,000 years, and I'm not going to tell you it's going to be in my lifetime. I would love it to be in my lifetime. I, would lo- I said last week, I would love to pass death. <laughs> I would love to just be raptured up, be with the Lord. Wouldn't that be awesome? Praise God. But chances are, good chances are, we will die before the return of Christ. I don't know. And your death, like his coming, might be just as unexpected and sudden. The Bible teaches that after death, there comes judgment, Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed unto men to die once, and then comes the judgment. So, reincarnation, mm, nope. Second chances after you die, mm, nope. The door is open today, but it might be closed by this evening. Sudden sharp pain in your chest. Before you know it, you're gone. A car accident, you might be picking up your baggage in a baggage claim, and some random, crazy, mentally ill person opens fire. We don't know how it's going to come down in our lives, but we better be ready. That's what I always think about, these random acts of violence, these crazy situations, bombings, and You know, my first thought is always, who is prepared? Who is ready? I guess the point is, the reality is most of us think we have time, but we really don't. And so, today, the invitation goes forth, doesn't it? Come to Christ. Trust in Christ today, right now give them your life. Stop playing the religious game. Come to Christ. Some of us are Christians and we are drifting. And today we need to stop and repent. We need to wake up and say, God, I'm tired of blundering through my life. I want purpose. I want to follow You. I want direction.